Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Killjoy Guide, the weekly left feminist podcast for the 99%. I am your host, Killjoy Meg. Please rate and review The Killjoy Guide on your favorite podcasting platforms. You can support the show through Anchor, that's anchor.fm slash killjoyguide, anchor.fm slash killjoyguide. In this episode, we are continuing our discussion about healthcare to mark the coming March for Medicare for All on Saturday, July 24th. Please click on the link in the podcast description, m4m4all.org. That is M4, the number four, M, the number four again, all.org to find a march in a city near you. Please come march with us to demand our representatives do the right thing and pass legislation to enact a Medicare for all system. If this pandemic has taught us anything, it is just how precarious our current healthcare system is. And the people who are the most affected by this are people from marginalized communities, including low-income people, women, Black, Indigenous, and people of color, and the LGBTQ community. Please come march with us this Saturday and let's show the world that we mean business. In this episode, we'll focus specifically on Black women's health. Black women often have the hardest time navigating the healthcare system due to inherent biases in the healthcare system and by healthcare workers. Ironically, even though Black women make up a majority of healthcare workers, barriers that make it difficult to access healthcare services, such as redlining, and a mistrust of the healthcare system and the government due to historic mistreatment of Black Americans by the medical establishment. As a result of these injustices, the Black community often face a number of health disparities and are more likely to suffer from chronic conditions such as hypertension, high blood pressure, stroke, cancer, and diabetes, and Black women are more likely to experience maternal mortality, anemia, and sickle cell anemia. Dr. Pire Yurtas Biam also reports for the Endometriosis Foundation of America that Black women are deeply underrepresented in medical and genome research. To discuss these health disparities and to talk about her experiences both as a Black woman navigating the healthcare system and as a community healthcare advocate is my dear friend Carlene Schlichtman. Carlene holds a Master of Arts degree in Gender, Sexuality, and Women's Studies and a Graduate Certificate in Public Health from the University of Florida. She also holds a Bachelor of Science in Kinesiology with minors in African American Studies and Marriage and Family Therapy. In 2020, she received a Health Coach Certification from the University of North Carolina, Greensboro. She is the owner of Ask Carly, a holistic health and life coaching business where she provides affordable life and wellness services for women and those of historically marginalized populations. Her research interests center on how gender, race, and class play a role in access to health and health care. Please give a warm Killjoy welcome to Carlene Schlichtman. The Killjoy Guide would like to welcome Carlene Schlichtman, a.k.a. Ask Hope Carly, to our show. Thank you so much for coming on, Carlene. This is so exciting to have you. Thank you for 
Yes, I'm excited. Thank you. Okay, so let's just jump right into talking about Black women's health disparities. So I, I want to start off with a couple of articles that I found. So the first one that I found that I want to share is talking about that Black women's biggest health issue is the system. Because we do have a deeply non-intersectional healthcare system. And I want to have a couple of people come on for another episode to talk more about how we can build a more intersectional healthcare system, but that there are deep-seated structural and systemic racist problems that are built into our healthcare system. So a little bit more about, this is from Jen Walton, and I will make sure to post this in the description. So if you want to read it, you're more welcome to. And we can definitely talk more about this. Carleen has You've definitely experienced this more on a personal level. So she's talking about, are we still aware the second 28 to get diagnosis of systemic lupus? She and her family has, had suspected SLE and told physicians about it from the very beginning. In addition to medical tests, had been pointing to an autoimmune disease for years. I literally had blood work done showing that something wasn't right in my body. It was still told I was fine. And this is definitely something that has been pervasive in our healthcare system for a long time. We have huge disparities among different races. And Black women in particular, it tends to impact more. So considering an astonishing sample from two Baltimore neighborhoods, the difference in average life expectancy between Upton and Druid Heights a mostly impoverished Black neighborhood in Roland Park, a mostly wealthy white neighborhood, is 20 years. In Upton Druid Heights, 54.7% of 10,071 residents are women, 93% of which are Black women, compared to Roland Park that has a similar percentage of women, 50.3%, but only 6.9% are Black women. The two neighborhoods are fewer than five miles apart. So for many Black women, the disparities don't stop once they retreat into their homes. More than 40% of Black women experience intimate partner violence compared to 31% of all women. Beyond the direct repercussions of physical violence, HPV is associated with a higher risk of HIV, unintended pregnancy, poor mental health, substance use, and other health issues. Social economic status enforced by structural racism plays a role in IPV. Black women earn 62 cents for every dollar their white, non-Hispanic male counterparts earn, putting them at a lower level of financial security. So there's a lot of different ways that this gets exacerbated, not only by race, but also by class. So we can definitely get into all of those. So just quickly, what are some of your initial thoughts? I mean, it's always like shocking and hurtful to hear those stats or come across these articles like it's all the same theme and content and it's the same type of like stats even if you are comparing just like a neighbor like two neighborhoods and like one major city but those two cities that are just not even five miles apart from each other that that's a systemic thing that's basically redlining like that I can tell you right then and there like without even knowing anything just hearing and reading that line it's definitely like redlining um, so that's more of a systemic issue, but it's like systemic issues go mm. hand in hand with health disparities, just like race, class, and gender is all intersectional. Like all of that is playing on each other. Um, it sadly, mm -hmm. it's just kind of like the, 
it's just, I don't even know like the words for it. It's basically kind of, it's everywhere. You, it's in every city. It's in predominantly like the the U S but I'm pretty sure it's happening globally. Um, my knowledge doesn't exp- like expand globally. I'm more focused U S but um, it's right. the same case, same type of numbers, the same type of statistics um, mm-hmm. everywhere that you, that you go here in like the U S it's sad. It's definitely, everything is definitely systemically deeply seated in mm-hmm. systemic ways. Right. And even giving more examples on, on that, let me bring up this other article. So these are the differences in health status among different types of women. So women of color are more likely to report that they are in fair or poor health. One fifth of African-American women, 29%. So one fifth, that's 20% of African-American women who would record their health as fair or poor. Mm -hmm. 29% of Latinas. So that's even, that's almost a third of Latinas. And only 13% of white women assess their health status as fair or poor. Mm -hmm. African-American women are more likely to have a physical condition that limits routine activities such as participating in school or work or conducting daily housework. Despite their reports of poor health status, Latinas are actually less likely to report that they have a chronic condition in need of ongoing care. Incidents of chronic Mm -hmm. illnesses also vary for women by race and ethnicity. Over half of African-American women ages 45 to 64 have been diagnosed with hypertension, which is twice the rate of white women. African-American women are also significantly more likely to have arthritis than Latina and white women at 33 and 32%. African-American and Latina women both experience higher prevalence of diabetes, 16 and 17% respectively, compared to white women at 9%. However, African-American women, 4%, are less likely to have osteoporosis compared to Latinas and white women. So these are all very interesting statistics. And here's another one about one quarter of women have been diagnosed with depression or anxiety. There is little variation among racial and ethnic subgroups. So we all have mental health issues, mm-hmm. like depression and anxiety. That's pretty even across the board. But the disparities of like hypertension and diabetes among women is that's insane. Yeah. Specifically for Black women and Latinx, like, women. Now, like, oh, it's a thing. Like, oh, you know, oh, my grandpa, my grandma, mm-hmm. my mom. Some, it's somebody in that inner circle of a family. Like, I know for a fact that, like, in my family, I can name, like, five people right now who have either, like, passed away, but they've had hypertension, mm-hmm. diabetes, and it's, it's 50-50 between if they were male or female, but mostly it's been women in my family that have it. Um, I'm pretty sure the men have it. They just ignore it and don't even go to the doctor for it or whatever. It's common and it's kind of seemed like the norm for women of color to just have these things. Mm -hmm. And it's like being passed down. We know that like diabetes and hypertension and things like Mm -hmm. that, mom or on or things like that are have it. It's common. It's not common for you to actually have it growing up being having diabetes or hypertension at a younger age or being susceptible to that. So you're like have pre-diabetes or your, your levels are a little bit higher than what they should be like for your age and stuff like that. 
it, and it kind of just becomes ingrained in a way of life. Like, Oh, like this is just what we have. It's because we're black or it's because, you know, we're of a Hispanic culture, but it's really systemic and not having equitable access to healthcare because all of these things are preventable. I believe like in the, the article, I don't know if it was this one or the last one, but it was talking about black women do more labor, housework and things like that and chores, like, which is true. So when you're doing this type of hard physical labor as a job, mm-hmm. and then you have to come home and do that same type of labor all over again, you're, of course, you're going to be in poor health. You're constantly putting this like strain on your body. And then it just comes down to, well, does your job even mm-hmm. offer health insurance? Right. Yeah. So if you're not even offered health insurance or if, or if it is, then you can't afford it because you don't even make enough hourly or salary to even have it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just sometimes it's not knowing where to go to have free or low cost or sliding scale clinics that where you can just get like an annual exam and kind of mm-hmm. just like know your status of where you are with like diabetes, hypertension, high cholesterol, things like just overall wellness exams that everyone should have access right. to. Like it shouldn't be a thing of if you require healthcare or not. And then that and that leads back to a systemic issue. And then it's mm-hmm. also a, definitely a race, class, and gender thing. Right. Um, because women, Black women, and other women of color are often like dismissed. So when we do come in, to a clinic or if we do have mm-hmm. health insurance for com- complaining about something in that first article you said the blood levels for that woman had showed like something leading to an autoimmune disease but they're like oh you're fine so now you're being dismissed but clearly your blood work cannot lie like the numbers right. and the tests cannot lie it's showing abnormal any abnormality like if that person was a white woman absolutely what the treatment would have been better like, would it have been more tests ran? Would, it have been, would she have been believed? Like, oh, okay, you are having all these signs and symptoms. Let's really do, like delve in and figure out, let's run some extra, extra mm-hmm. tests. Let's, you know, do all of these preventative measures to actually see if there is something truly wrong or even leading to like a mm-hmm. faster diagnosis and faster treatment. Right. Um, and it's sad because that is, that's common. And like, that's even happened like me and my own life, mm-hmm. like with my mom and like other women in my family, um, just not being believed or right. just late diagnosis. It's, it's a very common, very common issue. Right. And we're definitely going to get into that a little bit more in just a moment. But I, I want to pick up on a couple of threads that you had uh, pulled that's mm-hmm. about redlining, particularly like both when we lived in Gainesville, well, we can speak to this just in Gainesville oh, yeah. about how most Black Americans tend to live in neighborhoods that don't have an accessible hospital that is right near their area. Mm-hmm. Like, and we can say that even about Gainesville is that like Shans and the hospitals in Gainesville right. were nowhere near where the Black neighborhoods in the Gainesville area. So, in those neighborhoods, which tend to be more impoverished, you don't really have a good transportation system. It, we had a pretty decent transportation system in Gainesville. We had bus systems, but they didn't go into those neighborhoods necessarily. So that makes it very difficult for people to access a hospital. Oh, yeah. It's so 
Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And definitely. Even fans being on campus, like it's it's right. made to be like this is only made for students, professors, mm-hmm. anyone in that university area. And what comes with that is money. Like right. who can actually pay, who can actually afford these things, or who is wor- essentially worthy of these things. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so that definitely gets to your point about redlining and access to just basic healthcare of not being able to mm-hmm. get into that. And also the point of even when, even if you have the opportunity to just go to the hospital, you could easily be dismissed and have your pain just completely like, Oh, nope, doesn't exist. Like a good example of that. I would have to find it. But a story of a woman who brought her son, he was having heart trouble. He was only a teenage boy. He was having heart trouble while he was playing basketball. And she took her son to the hospital. And one of the very first questions that the doctor asked in the ER was, have you taken any drugs? And she insisted several times, no, my son is not on drugs, but you need to do something. So, but instead of running heart tests, they ran a drug tests. Because I assumed, oh, this must be a drug problem because we have this black kid Mm -hmm. who's coming into the ER. It must be a drug problem. So they came, kept on coming back like, oh, no, the drug test is clear. Okay. But then they didn't do any heart exams. A couple years later, he died because he had an enlarged heart. But they didn't test for that condition. I think I, I think I know it's like yeah. an enlarged heart, right? It was like a heart. Mm-hmm. It was a heart disease, and he was having like an enlarged heart. Mm-hmm. It was just like a deformity. I think, yeah, I think I I know that story. But yeah, a simple right. EKG in the ER it literally takes a couple seconds would have like right. caught it. You would have been able to see if he was having a heart attack or exactly. Anything. And also kind of pulling on the other side that you said about the fact that Black women tend to be involved in more jobs that that include more intensive labor. And that goes back to the point from that article that basically said that Black women are more likely to have a physical, physically demanding jobs, but they're more likely to have a physical condition that limits their ability to perform those tasks in school work and daily housework so even even so mm-hmm. considering they're the ones who do more of that physical labor they also have conditions that are more likely to impede their ability to do that labor which makes it even harder for them to be able to perform those tasks so they're performing more of the tasks while also having ailments that make it more difficult to do those tasks which just exacerbates those conditions so it's just like a ruthless cycle. Yes. And I know that you've also done mm-hmm. a lot of uh, research in Black women related to uh, HIV. Can you talk a little bit more about Black women and HIV? Yeah, Black women with HIV are literally the most out of like men and women or men who have sex just men who have sex with men, men who have sex uh, with women, and then in the same like women who have sex with women, mm-hmm. women who have sex with men, things like that. Black, it doesn't matter um, who your sexual partners are. 
black women are the highest rate for contracting. And it's, it's been like, they're, they're just high at every year. I want to say for the last, like maybe like 10 plus years, like every year they're at the top. They're the ones that are being diagnosed with it, catching a later diagnosis. Sometimes they're not even mm-hmm. diagnosed with just HIV at that t- the time that they do mm-hmm. get it. It's like full blown AIDS. Black women are literally mm-hmm. like, I feel like it's just short end of the stick. Every with everything, every health disparity, every every like literally everything financially, health wise, career wise, like it's just the brunt end of that stick. Or uh, black women are just always. I don't even know what to call it. <laughs> um, it just happens to them a lot. Um, it's really sad, and I think there's a lot of shame and stigma with HIV. Because mm-hmm. then it's like, oh, well, you were the Jezebel. Mm-hmm. And right. you have all those controlling images um, of Black women. Mm-hmm. So now it's not even just you've been diagnosed with HIV. It's, well, you deserved it. You probably mm-hmm. were out there like that. You've had multiple sexual partners. And or, oh, well, you know, you were a drug addict. And of course you got it mm-hmm. up from shooting up, sharing needles and dirty needles, things like that. So it's just all, all of these other outside like stigmas and stereotypes and other ways, Mm -hmm. um, which I mean, those things do happen. That's how there's many ways that you can contract HIV. And obviously if you test positive for HIV, you have had to have gotten it from any of the multiple ways that you couldn't have gotten it. But black women still continue to be affected more than any other gender and race. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's just within the black community, it needs, it's getting better, but there still needs to be a lot more of dismantling that shame and stigma mm-hmm. and actually talking about it because it's still, it's still a taboo. I think it's a taboo for anybody, mm-hmm. but specifically in the black community, it's like, oh, we don't talk about that. Right. Like, we don't talk about that at all. Like if you've got it, you, but you, you isolate yourself. There's the shame. There's the being ostracized from your family, from your church, right. everything from your job. Sometimes people will like find out your job and find ways mm-hmm. to um, make you quit or ways to like for you to get fired. Like legally, we know you cannot fire somebody because of their, right. of their status. But it happens, you know, they'll, they'll get you in another way that mm-hmm. legally on paper, you know, it's like, oh, you showed up late too many times. But we really know right. because you suppose that, you know, you are HIV positive. Mm-hmm. And then just the medication for that to keep things under control, right. to get your viral load suppressed so that you are undetectable. So you can, the, the whole like you equals you campaign and things like that. The medication is extremely mm-hmm. expensive. And so not everybody has health insurance to cover that. And sometimes right. health insurance doesn't even a hundred percent fully cover that. So now you have to find other avenues and things like that. And when you have HIV, you know, depending on when you've gotten diagnosed and you can't go to work, mm-hmm. it, it literally attacks you physically. So sometimes like you're going to be late to work. Or sometimes you're going to have to miss work because it's just the way that you're feeling. Right. And not everybody can have this like 
euphoric, like Magic Johnson type. Oh, uh, like we all know, but like he mm-hmm. appears to the world, like he doesn't even have it. Like when we think of Magic Johnson, it's like, oh right. yeah, he does have HIV, but then we don't even like think about it in that sense. But if mm-hmm. it's like a black woman or anyone else, it's like, ooh, like I can't eat off of you. I can't, oh, like what are you going to do? It's mm-hmm. that type of like shame and stigma around it. Yeah. Um. So really just, I'm all like for advocating for anybody, but specifically like black women and and black people in general, like just getting, mm-hmm. getting tested, knowing where you can get free HIV testing, not just in general, overall basic sexual health and sexual health education, knowing how to prevent things, knowing how to use a condom like correctly or knowing how to use a dental dam, knowing if you are going to like, mm-hmm. intravenous drugs, knowing where a clinic or anything like that or organizations that provide you, um, free and clean needles, things like that. So you can like protect yourself against Mm -hmm. things like that. But again, also with knowing that, and sometimes people don't want to get that help or go get tested. It's because of the shame and the fear around it, because absolutely. Once you get HIV, Oh, it's AIDS. And it's only a matter of time before I die. It's like a death sentence. And we really where it doesn't need to be a death sentence. Um, it's just all about knowing how to protect yourself to begin with so you don't get it. Um, but if you do get it, like it's okay. You're still going to live. We have science. We have modern technology. There's better medications, mm-hmm. things like that. Like everything else, it seems like Black women are just always the highest rate mm-hmm. and the most affected with it. Just because we are exposed i believe right we're the most exposed to that labor we're the most um exposed into sex mm-hmm. work and the misuse of like our bodies if we do try to like come in and get help and things mm-hmm. like that then we are turned down or we're just looked away at you know things like that or and then the shame of even just trying to get help that society like that shame that comes with it and that trickles down to just basic healthcare, right? Um, and medical mistrust and things like that. Well, mm-hmm. I don't want to go because you know I have a family member, or you know, like I've heard stories, or you right. know, they're not going to pay attention to me. I'm black and I'm a woman, so then it's it's all of those barriers that um, absolutely play. Absolutely, and that definitely everything that you're getting at definitely gets into the the idea of the of intersectionality and how all these different issues really play into each other, all these different systems, including whether it's, you know, housing and redlining, mm-hmm. having not class and not having either being able to pay for healthcare or like not having a health insurance and therefore not being able to get even basic healthcare or even with, as you were saying about being able to get safe access to needles to take in intravenous drugs, like, is related to the the war on drugs, which very much impacts the black community yeah. and impacts women. And the stigma of, you know, the Jezebel and not being, having that stigma of having, you know, a, a disease that is contracted sexually or through, or through drugs in, in many instances. And so all those different, as you said, all those different barriers you know, colliding into each other, interlocking with one another, and making it just so much harder on Black women than on most other communities. 
So I definitely thank you so much for, you know, reflecting on all those things. And let's talk a little bit more about like your personal experiences as you work in the healthcare industry and you've also had a very personal experience related to your mom. Let's go ahead and start with your experiences first as a worker in the healthcare industry and what you've seen and experienced through that lens. My job title is like a community health worker. So I am of like with one, I think one or two mm-hmm. more other people. We um, are basically given like a county and we are the, the advocates for that county. Sometimes I'm, I don't live in the county that I serve. The whole county. Yeah, for the whole county. I do. I don't live in. Yeah, That's it's, a lot. it's a lot. Um, so I personally don't live in the county that I serve, but I am the neighboring county. Um, and they're really small. So like mm-hmm. in 10, 10, 15 minutes, I can be in that county. So like in, it, it becomes like part mm-hmm. of like my routine because there's stuff that I don't have in my county that I need to travel to the county that I serve to get and like vice versa. But overall, like I'm in charge with like another person in, in this county. And our goal is just to just promote like better, better health overall. But typically the county that I serve is very like impoverished, very like low income, um, poverty stricken. Most people of like mostly people of color live in that county. And right now, because, you know, the whole world and COVID, mm-hmm. our main focus is um, now just vaccination, debunking like those myths about the vaccine, mm-hmm. making sure people know where they can go. Um, I do mm-hmm. like set up appointments and things like that mm-hmm. for them if they to their nearest provider, whether that's the health department, if it's like a of any type of like pharmacy that's doing it sometimes with the hospital I work for, we'll do like pop-up testing, pop-up vaccine clinics, things like that, just providing them the, just wherever is closest to them. So just providing them all that type of information and just education, things like that, letting them know like, hey, you have somebody here for you or the representative for this county, we live, like we live here, we work in here. So like we know, and really trying to break down that barrier between like person and provider. So we're that advocate. So we can come back and they can come to us and be like, hey, I was told this at the doctor, at the clinic. Like, what does that mean? We can break it down for them. And if we personally can't, we're like, hey, mm-hmm. I can't. We're completely transparent. Like, I can't do that. Or I don't know. I'm not very knowledgeable on that. But I will find someone to, like, help you. Or this is all that my knowledge goes to. And if they have other questions, then we kind of, like, lead them from there. And in that work, especially like with, we're just strictly focusing on COVID. It's a lot, a lot, a lot of mistrust. Um, But that goes back for like centuries, you know, because black people and black women were experimented on. Um, And like, we we see that, we see that throughout history. It's nothing to like Google or pick Mm -hmm. up a book. Um, but to really see that in right. person of how it is in 2021, how that mm-hmm. is still affecting the Black community and Black people. Um, and then, mm-hmm. you know, like COVID, like no one right. knew, no one knew anything. So mm-hmm. then it's just the fear of the unknown. And then we have the different, all, all the news is like, oh, it's this, oh, it's this. 
oh, and so X amount of people died. And then you have a conspiracy like theorists and then people believe in that. And the stuff that they say truly does sound believable if you do not have like any type of like science background mm-hmm. or if you just don't have the knowledge of when to know of a credible source. And it's just word of mouth. You're not going to question your grandma or your mm-hmm. mom or your uncle or brother or sister when they're telling you something. You're not going to be like, what peer article did you, what news right. station did you hear that from? Did you like, did you hear that from the <laughs> CDC? You're not asking that. You're just like, what? Oh my gosh. Now I got to like do all this crazy stuff or I'm not going. So as like my job, I'm, I'm that person that is like, nope, that's right. true. Nope. That's false. Or eh, half of what you're saying is right. And I can see the concern, um, but also not being like a provider, but like, nope, you got to do that. Like being a human basically and letting them know, like, it's okay to go to a provider. And I understand your mistrust and things like that. Here are some questions to ask or if, um, if there's patient advocates around that will take them or be with them and sit with them in, in the waiting room or in with like their appointment to kind of break down that information, because there's been plenty of times in my own experience, but just in general, like doctors just say crap to you and you don't even know, or the pharmacist just says crap to you or nothing. at all, And then you're like, well, I'm supposed to take right. this medicine or they said this and you don't even know anything. Um, so then, and then it's just kind of like, even if they don't even have right. access to a provider, I'm still the one that can help them get access. Mm-hmm. Um, and just letting them know, especially since the area in the county that I live in, it's, it's rural. We're, we're in Eastern North Carolina. So the nearest like hospital for them may be in another county or maybe like 20 minutes away or 30 minutes or God forbid, like it's an hour away. So it's just, kind of being that person where I can be like, Hey, right. I, there's a clinic here in this area. Maybe I, and I can find like a free bus pass for them for like the day or the week, or I can, um, I know like, because it's rural, we have, it, it kind of reminds me of Uber, but it's through the County and the city, um, or they come pick you up in mm-hmm. like vans or cars and mm-hmm. you just have to schedule it in advance and they will take you to like your appointments or wherever you need to go. Um, just because Uber and Lyft are in a rural area, it's that's not an accessible thing for somebody. Or if it is, who has $100 to travel 20 miles? I don't. And I'm right. like, you know, like mm-hmm. I'm not like literally above the pot. Like I'm not in the right. poverty, like considering like that bracket. But like, I know I can't afford like $100 Uber. So how can I expect somebody who has, little to no income before mm-hmm. that. So kind of being aware of those things and just being that person Absolutely. for the for the county and for the community and knowing that like they can call me or if they see me out in the community at an event, things like that, um, we're there. And we go to like all the churches, all of like kind of like the grocery stores or kind of like convenience stores where people that might be their only place that they can get groceries and it's mostly like canned goods or whatever they can just get their hands on or putting up flyers about just healthcare information right now it's a big thing everybody's getting vaccinated and kind of being aware to like hey still wear your mask because of the delta variant um 
So things like that. And I always like put like my name and my number and, and mm-hmm. call um, and just being able to get people access to because people were out of work and still out of work. So putting in, them into contact with organizations who've been helping with rent and utility assistance. I know for like me and my job, sometimes um, if we have the resources mm-hmm. to, um, we've done multiple like food drives. Um, at like a local church and we'll put up flyers, tell the church to spread the word. And we'll be like, Hey, we we're giving out, you know, like 500 boxes of food and it's enough to feed like one box is enough to feed like, you know, like four people for like the week or something. And you just come and drive up. And some people be like, Hey, I don't have transportation. I'm like, no problem. Let me know how many boxes you need. And I can go ahead and deliver them to you. And we've been giving because of COVID and things like that. We've been giving like the food boxes with like a cleaning bag, which has hand sanitizer, um, disinfectant wipes, a bottle of bleach, a bottle of laundry detergent, um, gloves and masks just, you know, so they can have basic necessities because we don't, we know, but we also don't know their transportation. If they even have the money, where is that? Like they can even get access to, I know to some of the people in the class that I serve that from the nearest convenience store that would maybe have some of those things was about 20, 30 minutes away. Mm-hmm. And they're, and they're older. So it's like, I know for oh, a while wow. that food box and that cleaning bag went a long way with them. So it's just things like that, not even having access to basic Absolutely. things that most people take for granted. Um, so like, I mean, I love my job. Like it's just being able mm-hmm. to provide that one like little sliver of like access, even if I necessarily can't provide it myself. I'm like, Hey, I know this organization or this church um, or something that maybe like the state might have resources for that's like government funded. I'm like, Hey, you know, like we can get you on unemployment and you get the pandemic assistance. Um, and then this organization can pick up where right. there's like a gap or, you know, um, because now you're getting financial assistance through whatever, you know, well, they can provide you with like cleaning supplies or food for like this week, things like that. And, or this other organization can help you with like job placement. Um, a lot of people have like lost their jobs, um, because they've either been diagnosed, um, or, you know, just, just cutbacks or somebody in their house was exposed. So then, you know, you have to be quarantined and then you lose your job because you didn't show up for the 14 days, things like that. Right. Um, You never know like situation. Right. And one thing that you definitely, uh, talked about was the idea of mistrust that you have to break through, uh, just like generations and just like even one example, you know, from like the 19 uh, during world war two with the Tuskegee airmen, the fact that they were given, Mm -hmm. you know, vaccinations, but it turned out they were being tested with syphilis. So consider it like when you have that type of history of, you know, being told that you're being given a vaccine, and these were soldiers. These were American mm-hmm. soldiers. And they were being given a syphilis rather than an actual vaccine in order to test them. Like, of course, you know, you're not going to, you're like, I don't, you're not putting that, that whatever it is that you have there, you're not going to put that in my body because I don't know what the heck it is you're giving me. Yeah. And, 
And especially with all the different stories in the news about, you know, Fauci and about the CDC and, you know, the Wuhan lab leak and all these different stories that you hear, you can't really tell, you know, what's fact and what's fiction. And it makes it so that, like, I know it's shaking my trust with the CDC a little bit. So I can't even imagine what it's probably like for people who already have in just entrenched mistrust with government institutions that have historically been racially testing, testing Black men and Black women for generations. I can't even imagine what it would be like to have to break through that kind of mistrust. The mistrust, like even now, I would say is like at an all-time high. It's no secret that like the government was like hiding stuff and then we find out about it, especially just in regards to just COVID. And then the CDC mm-hmm. couldn't make up their mind of like what were the pre- like precautions were, or mm-hmm. how it was like how COVID is even transmitted. How do you get it? And it's like no wear a mask, no don't wear a mask. Is it an N95? No, it has to be like you know. Mm-hmm. So all of that, and then you have just just mm-hmm. a lack, lack of information, lack of knowledge because this is something new. But and then just. The CDC and the government just kind of going back and forth. You don't really know what's going on. And then all of a sudden we're like, oh, yeah, we got a vaccine. And it's kind of like. Right. We're just like, out of nowhere. We yeah, have a vaccine. Literally out of nowhere. And it's like millions of people were dying. And then all of a sudden now we have a vaccine. And then it's kind of like, well, how did we mm-hmm. put this vaccine together? And then it's kind of like mm-hmm. you just kind of literally water it down and be like, science you know you know how do you think like we come up with like a flu vaccine every year it's kind of like the same way but people Mm -hmm. are not trusting them they're like well why is there three Mm -hmm. different vaccines why do two of them you get two shots and one of them you get one shot what's the difference Mm -hmm. and then you gotta kind of like right like oh you know they're 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 literally the same it's just different companies well why why is it so many companies which are all like complete, like normal questions, questions anybody should be asking questions that do like raise, make you raise an eyebrow. So it's, and then kind of having to explain mm-hmm. those and then, but also being understanding of like the community and the black community and the black culture. And then, but also being as like a health advocate for that because they're trusting me and I'm at, like asking these questions, but then mm-hmm. there, that mistrust is still like, well, why would I trust you still? Because you are mm-hmm. working for the hospital. You're pushing this agenda. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, then I be like, well, right. you know, I believe like in medicine, like I do understand like the mistrust. And then that's when I kind of have to like, kind of share like my personal story of how I know how things are. And I believe like that makes me and like the people in the community mm-hmm. that I serve trust me a little bit more. And they're like, okay, you know, she's just not this like person who has these degrees and you just work and you just come to tell us stuff, you know? So it's like, I, I do understand them. And I think giving them like that little, like little bit of personal about me makes the trust a little bit better. Mm-hmm. But I mean, some of them are just like, no, nope, you know, I love you. I'm, I'm still not getting it. Which is like totally understand. I don't push anything on anybody because I know right. how like that can be. I know you and you you see it everywhere. You see it on public transportation, get the shots, you see it on TV. I'm over here promoting it. So it's a lot, but that it's for sure. The mistrust right. is literally it was already high, but now it's like I don't trust anything, anybody. They're kind of even thinking I know it's kind of more I would say it's a mix of the older generation 
and a younger generation where they're questioning even the like vaccines that we're supposed to get, like, you know, as we're a child. Well, they're like, right. Oh, well, like, right. And they kind of go into the whole like anti-vax. <laughs> into anti-vax or like it causes mm-hmm. autism down syndrome we don't know and then they kind of go into crazy things that have happened mm-hmm. with people who have gotten the vaccine and it's either we just can't explain it we don't know if it was from the vaccine or not there's no way to really pinpoint it um and right like, oh well, sh- they got the vaccine and yeah, either correlation or causation. Yeah, so they got the vaccine and died, or they got the vaccine and turned blind. Like I've, I've heard literally everything, and I'm like, "What? Where'd you hear that? At? Oh, you know, I wow. somebody and so and so told me." And I'm like, "Where was the? Where was like? Where's the article?" And they're like, "I don't know. This is what I heard." So it's like I can't, I can't really tell if it's true or not. Mm-hmm. You just have to listen and trust them because they're trusting me to talk and like listen right. to them and help them with their concerns. But I, it's at a, an extreme all-time high, and I understand, and I just kind of, like, provide, you know, like, hey, this is what the CDC is saying. This is, like, what the hospital I work for is, like, saying, you know, and we have the clinics in the hospital. This is, like, where, you, like, where the nearest hospital, like, where you, you, where you, for your community, for your county, like, that's where, that's, we are who you serve, mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, and they're just like, oh, no, like... Even down to the COVID test, there's like mistrust. And, oh, it goes into my right. brain. I've heard things of kind of like. <laughs> yeah, Bill Gates is putting a plant yeah, in all of our brains. <laughs> I've had They're one, tracking us. one client tell me that she didn't want to get the, the, the COVID vaccine because it puts a chip on you. And she saw somebody have like something like a metal square on their mm-hmm. arm after it and i was like metal square and she's mm-hmm. like yes directly related from the covid vaccine and they're tracking mm-hmm. and i was all like you can't put that in a lot in like the syringe so and i just and it just you have to be really patient and you have to meet everybody where they're at you can't just start doing out all these medical terms or all right. these like big words you have to meet people where they're at and kind of just let like literally listen listen to what they're saying like what they're telling you and their fear or concern and then you kind of like correct it but in like in a nice way and in an educational and like helpful way like you don't want to like offend them because they're already like the way i've noticed is that they still even though we're not medical providers they still see us as medical providers because they of us to have all of this knowledge because mm-hmm. we aren't educating them on any type of health matter. So they're thinking some of them, like, I've run into clients and they're like, you're right. a doctor, right? You're a nurse, right? And I'm like, no, I'm not any of that. And I'm just like, I just have a lot of like health knowledge and I have like, you know, degrees or whatever. And they're like, what? You're not a nurse? Why are you talking to me? Or what? how do you know so much? And it's just like, yeah, I just have to kind of like meet them where they're at and explain these things. But th- it's even just plain conversations you see the mistrust and, and then they kind of relate in their own personal stories um, about even them themselves or family member or their spouse or whoever. And they're like, Oh, well, they went and they got this, or I don't trust that hospital or, or I refuse to go to this clinic because this happened. It's everywhere. So I think with COVID it made it really worse than what it is before. And, I, and as far as mistrust, but I also think that getting access to healthcare 
or any type of like clinic that does like sliding scale or mm-hmm. any any of the things where they're like, oh, you know, like this month or once a month we do like a bus and you can come in and get checked for like diabetes or you can get like for your low cost medications, things like that. They don't even want to go, they don't even want to go to that because right. they're like, oh, they're gonna tell me I need the vaccine. Or I don't trust it. Everything across the board now that's not even trusting. Even if they were like a little bit trusting, they just it's not trusting at all. And it's kind of like when you live in a rural area, things are already limited. So it just it makes it a yeah. lot, a lot, mm-hmm. a lot harder. But I would say getting getting them to like trust me and leading them to like our provider or the nearest type of like clinic. That's, mm-hmm. I think that's where the change starts. And I think with the mistrust, because besides like all like being low income or not having an income mm-hmm. and being like black or not having all these like transportation, all these other like systemic issues and things like that, the mistrust completely stops them from everything. Right. This is a good segue into the next thing I want to talk to you about, which was you, you just said that the, one of the ways that you get them to kind of trust you even a little bit is by telling them your own personal story. And, you know, I know your story and, you know, what you've experienced, not only you, and we can talk about like your experience with like getting birth control, because I know mm-hmm. that was a big moment for you too. Yeah, but also your experience with your mom and um, her experience with healthcare. So with like my own personal like experiences, I think I just like mostly like I have my own stuff, but because like I, I'm very like white passing. So like, I feel like it's like not as bad, but mm-hmm. I feel like if somebody was to like know and they were like just clear out like bluntly like racist, they would be like, mm, okay, yeah, no. But usually like I can I'm for the most part like okay, I do get some like crazy comments, like but like how like my birth control like story when it's like my own like body and like reproductive stuff, then that's when I kind of get like the weird not even weird, just rude. <laughs> like comments about it or mm-hmm. things that I to be forced on like <laughs> my like huge issue but as far as like my especially like my mom just like just off of her skin color and her being a woman and being of like low income like low class like she literally got like everything just like on her plate like shit 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 like um just even down to just her like mm-hmm. her access. She couldn't even have regular access. And we lived in a city. So I couldn't even imagine what it would be like if we lived somewhere rural. Um, and with my mom just getting a late diagnosis um, for breast cancer, and it had already kind of like metastasized to like other areas, getting told that it wasn't medically necessary for her to have both breasts removed because the cancer at the time was only in one breast. But they could clearly see that it was like already metastasizing to lymph nodes and like spreading. So being told that it was medically unnecessarily to remove only one or just partial of the breast and not just the whole breast, not both breasts, like was like, whoa, like what? And of course, like at the time, like my mom is just like, okay, you know, like. Mm-hmm. They are a doctor. They would know. So if they just remove only this part and then being told, well, if we do this, then like, because like my mom has a stereotypical black woman's body, large breasts, like larger buttocks, like hips, everything. 
the doctor literally telling her, well, why would you want to get rid of your breasts? Like people pay mm-hmm. for these. What? Like, oh what? my gosh. Right. At, like, oh, that's like, insane. You're telling a black woman and you're telling a black woman with cancer. And it's just like, mm-hmm. how do you even get, how do you even get those words out your mouth? How does that even, why is that even like processed in your brain to even like think or say that? So that right there, you can see mm-hmm. how like race, gender, and right. class has played just in like that conversation, like with my mom with the medical provider. And then, you know, just kind of because she was on Medicaid and Medicare, wow. you're getting like the lowest type of care possible. And doctors are like, right. oh, well, this is like free, easy money. We're going to, we're going to keep you on like the cheapest thing possible. And we're going to extend it out. Why? Because every time you walk through that door, it's, it's a check, check from the government. And they don't even have to really like think about it because there's no like insurance companies to go mm-hmm. through and verify it and be like, oh, well, they only have, you know, this amount of sessions, whatever it is. It's just, oh, the government's paying for it. Check. Oh, we're going to call you in next week. Check when you don't even really need to come in like the next week or something. So the doctor's just kind of taking advantage of that. And so now that's like a systemic issue. And just all the way from like the start of my mom's diagnosis all the way up until like she passed away. Even when she wasn't even like coherent in her final moments, her like blackness was like turned on to like me. Like even though like I'm a black woman, but I'm like white passing. But because they knew I was her daughter, I had like the ICU nurse even question my blackness to my mom because there was no way I could be so white passing and me having a black mom that ill. Like literally questioning me like, what does your mom look like? Mm-hmm. Is she this? Oh, I thought she was like Native American. That explains her cheekbones. Lady, my mom is in ICU on a crash cart. Let me in the room. Why are you questioning my blackness? Why are you questioning oh my her black? Why are you trying like, oh, well, she has like really like high cheekbones, like for a black person, or she has like really long hair for a black person. She she has to be like Native American, like trying to do anything else to be like, wow, I can't believe like a black person looks like this and it's not fitting the stereotype and how can you be her daughter you're so light or you're so educated and how are you so calm during all of this so now Mm -hmm. I have to be like the wailing black woman the hysterical black woman and it's like of course I want to be that way it's my mom but why do you have to be the hysterical like wailing black woman like that type of like trope and like stereotype I'm pretty sure like if I was like a full-on like white woman it would have been okay like oh poor thing she's losing her mom you know, but then it's like, eh, mm-hmm. of course, like, you know, it was like, mm-hmm. with that. And why are you right, so calm? Like, they were like, oh, I'm so surprised that you know, like all mm-hmm. the medications you're on or that I had asked for um, Provoval to sedate my mom so she could go peacefully. Otherwise, if I didn't ask for that, they would have never gave it to my mom. Mm-hmm. And they were like, oh, yeah, well, we were just going to, mm-hmm. it looks like she's not going to make it any in any second. So we didn't really see the need to sedate her. No, sedate my mother. I know she's in, like, she is so, like, in so much pain that sleep, but just because you are sleeping, oh like, you don't feel pain, or I'm like, to me, or to me, or to us, it looks like she's sleep, but she's passing away. So, of course, you're not going to be coherent to be like, roll over and be like, I'm in pain. You know, like, I, it's my mom. I could tell she's in pain. She's passing away from cancer. Mm-hmm. Like, give her, like, end of life, like, respite care that you would do for anybody. 
anybody in like that type of like sedate them so right. they can go peacefully. Or like we hopeful, like we really don't know if they really are truly going. Mm-hmm. But you know, like oh my what gosh. we like assume and like science is like has like proven, oh, you know, you don't feel anything, you're completely sedated, you know? But it's just kind of like it baffles me still to this day that I had to ask for my mom to be sedated. They would have left her in like so much pain. And then for them to tie my mom down to the like bars of the hospital. They tied my mom down. They tied her down. Physically untie my mom. And I had to like good thing I had like fingernail clipper like a little kit in my purse because I had to clip through the strings from the bands they tied my mom so tight to the bed she was just like this like and I'm like first of all my mom was really frail when she like passed away so I'm like she wasn't a threat she wouldn't they're like oh well we we just don't want her to like pull out the ventilator and I was like my mom knew she was passing away and she was so weak. She was maybe 60, 70 pounds when she passed away. And you can just tell that oh the cancer just like took over her body. So it's just kind of like, my mom couldn't even get out of like the bed to like use the restroom or anything. Like she couldn't even lift her arms to like eat or anything. So the fact that they tied her down and it's kind of mm-hmm. like when she arrived in the hospital, like you can already like assume that like this person does not have any type of like physical strength. And they're like, oh, well, we tied her mm-hmm. down because we didn't want her to like wake up and freak out um, that she has like a ventilator in her mouth and she's like all the IVs. And I'm like, this is not the first time like, you know, my mom's been like in the hospital or like anything, you know? And I was like, and she knew she was right. passing away. So, and I was like, and even if she was like freaking out, like there was no physical way she could have like pulled anything out. So I was just like, that's your reason of why you've tied down a 65 year old woman who's now like anywhere between or no more, no more or less than like 80 pounds. And then when she arrived, she was already unconscious. What was the point of tying her down? And then you sedated her and Mm -hmm. still kept her tied down. I was like, I can't, but you can just like tell like the treatment was bad. Like after I asked to like sedate my mom, no one came to check on me. In like the room, they're like, they literally came to check in and was like, wow, she's still holding on. That's what you say. They're like, I've never seen anybody hold on so strong. Yeah, I've never seen anybody hold on so strong. We were all assuming that she would have passed away within the hour or so. And then like when my mom finally Mm -hmm. did pass away, it ended up being like a day and a half or so, like after she had been admitted. And they're like, wow, she held on really tough. That is so insensitive. Right. And I was just like, at this point, it's not even like bedside manner. Like to me, I'm like, Mm -hmm. like, this is clearly like a race issue. And then they're just like, wow, you're so Mm -hmm. strong to do all of this. You're so young. I'm sure your mom is proud of you. Oh, and and, because I was like wearing like a UF shirt and they're like, oh, and you go to US? Like, wow, it's really prestigious. Mm -hmm. I know she's proud of you. So now I'm Oh my gosh. Now it's like, oh, now I'm the educated, like, Black person. Now, like, you're like, oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Like, now you're so, like, amazed that, like, now Black people can be, like, educated or things like that. Like, we're so surprised that I knew, like, medical terminology and stuff like that. Like, I had to be like, no, I have, like, medical and health degrees. I'm in school for, Mm -hmm. like, at the time, I was like, I'm in school for this. Like, they're like, oh, you know, they're like, this form, that form, or how did you know to do that? Also, like, I'm in school for this, but also because I know my mom's a black woman, I had to, like, beat you before you tried to, like, beat me. 
So it's like, I, had, I right. in order to keep up, I had to know because I knew like at some point my mom wasn't going to be able to like fight for herself, which was yeah, true. And I'm absolutely. like, you literally tied her down. You literally tied her down to the bed. And it was tight. Mm-hmm. I, I had a hard time untying my mom because she was so tight to the bar. Oh my like, God, that was, that, honestly, my, my heart is breaking for you right now because I know how hard that was for you to lose your mom. And I'm, I, I'm speechless right now just hearing what you're saying yeah because i know i would i would never experience as a white woman i would never experience that like and even if i were to be screaming my head off at the nurses i'd probably be given so much more latitude and say like okay it's okay just calm Mm -hmm. calm down we will make sure to do whatever it is that you that we need to do like i would be given that latitude because i'm a white woman like i would be allowed to be emotional and angry but mm-hmm. you were not given that latitude because you automatically would have been seen as like, oh, that angry black woman. Like we have to call security. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, it, it got so mm-hmm. bad that um, when my dad like showed up, they were like, oh, like, who's this man? I'm like, that's my dad or like, that's my cousin. And it, it was like sad. I had to like keep going out to like letting the nurses know like this is this is my family member or like they're allowed to be in here and then they were like of right. course you know like the limit of people in the room or whatever they were literally not letting like anybody in like they barely let me in before I even got, I was the first person there before I even got to see my mom I stood out for like five ten minutes being questioned about if my mom was black why does her like physical features look this way? Am I really her daughter? Why am I so light? Why do I have a different last name? I'm sure if my mom was white and I showed up, all I had to do was just give my mom's name and like, I'm her daughter. And they're like, oh, of course, come in. And I'm right. like, why, why was I questioned? Why are you questioning? That's when? insane. I could have been married. That's why my mom, like, that's why my last name is different from my mom. Right. Or even like, like, why was that even a factor? If you knew my mom was like in such of this like critical condition, you didn't even think she was going to make it within the hour. If somebody just runs in saying like, hey, I'm so-and-so's relative, whatever, like you let them in. Right. I mean, I know there's like crazy Absolutely. cases where up and you know, they're not even, but I'm just like, come on now. Like, mm-hmm. even in like, the last, and, like her last yeah. moments, I was just like, wow. Yeah, and I know because we've had these conversations before that like, you were kind of a late um, birth. For yeah. I mean, your parents are older, and you've told me the story about like how you've had to basically take care of them from a very young age since mm-hmm. you, they were older and have had chronic health conditions. Yes. Um, can you tell a story about how about the struggle you had getting covered? on healthcare under uh, Medicaid with them. Because that story, like, I remember that story drove me crazy when you told me. Oh, yeah. So under my, so like with my biological father, because of child support and stuff like that, I was under like his insurance. So like I was covered up until I was like, I want to say like 18, 19. And then of course we know like Obama was like president at the time. And then he mm-hmm. extended it until like you're 25. But my biological father 26. had- yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, 26, 26. So my biological father had like lost his job and then he got a new one and then never put me on it, put me on the insurance. I was like, Mm -hmm. it's kind of like the law, like you have to like add me. But then I was like, okay, like whatever, I'm grown, you know, but because I'm a college student, like full time, like I can't Mm -hmm. have an actual full time job that has potential like benefits and things like that. 
And because mm-hmm. like my mom and my stepdad had these chronic conditions, they qualified for like Medicaid and Medicare. Mm-hmm. But with my mom, she had issues because I don't like she had like chronic like hypertension and things like that. Mm-hmm. But apparently when every time she did apply for something, she was always denied because it wasn't like extreme. Which makes no sense. We have a chronic right, illness. But, <laughs> yeah, no, but like she so she got denied. They're like, oh, it's just like hypertension. And I'm like, yeah, you kind of mm-hmm. would need health insurance to control that. But she was just always denied. Right. It didn't take until she literally gets diagnosed with like literally almost stage four cancer. So they're like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, you can. But the way mm-hmm. that they were able to even get approved was that they couldn't have me couldn't list me as in the household because the caseworker had told them that I make too much money for the household. So then everybody would have been cut off. And I was like, I don't, I don't even make much. Like I'm working two Mm -hmm. part-time jobs and in school full time. How Mm -hmm. is that too much of a household income? And when I looked back at everything, she counted my like scholarships and things like that as income oh my when you're not what? Even supposed to yeah when you're not even supposed to do that she counted it as my income and I'm like I've never even seen that money like that money didn't even physically touch mm-hmm. my bank account it was just it showed up right in like my school portal and was like you've been awarded your tuition's this much and now you're at like a zero balance or whatever like I, I never seen mm-hmm. that money but it as my in, as like a household income we like my parents were going to get denied and i was like i don't i don't i don't really live at home it's just like you know home because like parents so i had to be like that in order for them just to get literally basic like medicated medicare which we are in what yeah and what was the the threshold by which you were making too much money literally like over like a dollar a dollar yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, do I not work like half a day or a day or do I cut back mm-hmm. like on hours? And I had went to like another caseworker and she was like, I'm so sorry. Like I don't make up this like chart. And she was like helping me crunch numbers. And she was like, if you can work literally like 30 hours a week. And I was like, no, I have to work 40 hours. How can you live on that? Yeah. And I was like, I have to work 40 hours. And she was all like, or see if you can just get, she was like, or quit one job. And I was like, no, I have to have both jobs to survive. I was like, it's not just me I'm taking care of. Like I'm filling in the gaps, like where my parents don't have an income. So I was just Mm -hmm. like, it's kind of like damned if you do, damned if you don't. Like these systems are in place to kind right. of like help you and stuff like that. Granted, they're never supposed to be long term, and I wasn't trying to be on it long term. But it's just kind of like mm-hmm. that much of like a threshold literally was the deciding factor of if me or like my parents like would, would receive help or like assistance. And I'm like, right. oh my gosh, there we go. Like that's the system. Like of course, right. Right. This is something that's built to, that's supposed to help you. And mm-hmm. you're denied that help because you make one dollar, one dollar too much. One that's insanity. That's that is utter insanity. And I was just like, yeah. so I'm like, I don't even, it's like in the real grand scheme of things, I'm like, so a dollar determines if you live in poverty or not. Like if I were to like give that dollar away to somebody, now I'm in poverty or like 
I was like, I'm still kind of living in poverty. Like, I don't understand. I don't, I, I still to this day right. don't understand the algorithm of how that works. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and even the poverty level that we look at today, like it hasn't changed since the 1950s. Like the, yeah, like, the poverty level that we have is, is based off of a, a single income household of like $20,000, it's 1950s money. It doesn't count right. like how much debt we've accrued in housing and medical care. And it doesn't include any of those things. So to consider someone in poverty, like if we were to actually look at the poverty rates today, what it should be at is probably like, I would consider like in poverty, like under $30,000. Yeah. Or I would say even like 40, even more than that. Right. Yeah, at least like 40, because it's kind of like, because you can't live on it. You can't somebody who's making gross, like amount, like 40,000 after taxes and everything, you're probably making right. 30. If you have kids, you're probably right. making like 20 because now you got mm-hmm. another human you're taking care of. So it's kind of like, mm-hmm. what? And just part? like all those costs of like childcare and oh, like yeah. food for them and like all kinds of like their healthcare. Like all kinds of different factors like that. It, it's insane the, the right. way that just we the decide who's living. poor and who's not. Right. And then the cost of living everywhere has like shot up. Mm-hmm. So it's skyrocketed. Kind of like a studio is going for like $1,000 like a month for rent. Right. Well, if somebody is only making $1,000 or $1,200 like a month, they don't even have money for utilities. Mm-hmm. There's, if they have a car note, there's no money for car note, gas, gr- like there's literally nothing else. So now you're forced to get a second and or third job, or you have a two, essentially two families living in a one bedroom or in a studio to literally just make ends right. meet. And even then, like, absolutely right. Like even how talk about housing, they say that to rent somewhere or even own a home, it should only be 25% of whatever you get paid, whatever your income is, it should only be 25%. So in order to have a one, you know, $1,000 studio apartment, that means you have to make $4,000 a month, right? Which is that's going to be only a quarter of your income. Right. So that means if you're making $4,000 a month, that's like four times 12 is $48,000 a year. And that's before taxes. Right. Or that'll be after taxes, actually. Mm-hmm. So you would have to be making maybe about $60,000 a year just to afford that $1,000 apartment as only a quarter of your income. The minimum wage yeah. is seven twenty-five. dollars right. Which is ridiculous. I don't it's even insane. understand how that's even still a thing. And that hasn't changed since right. like the fifties. I don't think either. Like seven seven twenty five back mm-hmm. then, I'm sure was like the equivalent to like our like maybe twelve dollars, twelve fifteen dollars an hour. Right, right. And it's been seven twenty five since so like two thousand and five, two thousand six, something like that. And it's, even then, like, it's ridiculous. You couldn't yeah. even survive. Like even the fifteen dollar minimum wage that they're asking for now is not enough. Like you need at least twenty five dollars just to survive. Twenty five dollars right. an hour just to survive, just to break even in a lot of areas. Maybe thirty dollars an hour just to thrive. So you know, hashtag twenty five dollars to twenty five to survive. 
Hashtag 30 to thrive. <laughs> and then, but then it's like 30, $30 are you even thriving because all this debt you've accumulated to literally work up to the 30, right? like $30 an hour. So absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think, I think my parents, like they're both nurses. I think they maybe make around that's 30 or maybe $35 an hour range. But we're not, you know, swimming in wealth. You know, like I still have to contribute to the household. My sister contributes to the household. And mm-hmm. like they can, you know, they can pay their bills and everything. And, but, you know, they still have debt they have to pay. They're getting ready for retirement. And they don't have, they right. barely have they're any savings in their retirement. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So it's, there's no way that you can make it on that much money, especially when like my parents have four kids. They put us all through college. There's no way. Like the system's just making it impossible for anyone to get by. It's impossible. Yeah. Like, and we're just living in this like hustle culture. It's literally created. Mm -hmm. It's literally created and sustained to keep it that way. Exactly. Time and time again. Why are like why are black people? Why are black women still experiencing the same thing? Little like right. It's I to me. I'm like it's still like crap we were experiencing during slavery. It's just like literally like a new Jim Crow. It's it's just transformed mm-hmm. over the centuries, over the years. But it's still right. the same. Still the same. We've just evolved right. with it. And, it's yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Right, and that's one thing that my good friends at the Fred Hampton leftists they love to say about like my friend Nick Cruz loves to say that you know Medicare for all and healthcare is the most pro-black issue and it's specifically for things like this and my friend Jackie the way that she even frames um reparations is that it shouldn't just be about slavery and being a descendant of someone who was in slavery but everything that has come afterward from redlining to lynching to all the different black wall streets that were created and then burned all the wealth, all the generational wealth that was stolen from Black families over the generations, all of those things should be paid back. All those things should be repaired. Those are the types of reparations that we should be investing in. And I think she's absolutely right. Like, it's not just, this is not just slavery. That's one injustice. There are so many injustices that have been made against the Black community, whether it's wrongful um, incarceration, like so many black people have been incarcerated for ridiculous reasons. And that goes to the war on drugs and the way that black people have been disproportionately uh, charged for drug crimes and then white people. It's there are all these different things. The housing crisis, black homes, like all that wealth was decimated under the housing mm-hmm. crisis. All those things should be paid back to the black community. And so would you agree with that? That framing yeah, of it? But I don't even think there's like a dollar amount you can even like right. put on that because it's like, oh yeah, like how do you how do you put on like a dollar? How do you quantify that? You can't like you literally can't. Like the best thing it's like, yes, like the money or whatever, but it's also like mm-hmm. systemic change, like making sure this crap doesn't happen, mm-hmm. but you can't even have systemic change. Because you have to like literally unlearn all of like all of the racism and then clearly mm-hmm. getting rid of critical race theory. We're just, <laughs> we're just like, no, oh we're still racist. We're still outwardly racist. Mm-hmm. Our, like, 
Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, you're, it's, I, I'm hopeful, but I'm not. Like, I'm also like realistic. And I'm right. Like, we can't be like, oh, we're all for a change. Look at this, look at that. And then you get rid of like critical race theory. Mm-hmm. So you'd right, absolutely cover up how you were racist and how America and the rest of the world was basically colonized off of like racist and sexist things and ideologies. Absolutely. Sure. Right. Go ahead. And, like, I don't understand how you're even going to yeah. tell history. Like, how are you even going to explain like Black History Month? How are you going to explain like why he's like Happy Juneteenth? Okay, I don't know what Juneteenth is because you got rid of critical race theory. <laughs> right. But it's, it's literally going to like be, it's, it already was like commercialized and then it was like commercialized in the right. most like racist way. Like Ikea was like, here's some fried chicken and watermelon. <laughs> oh my gosh. Really? On Juneteenth? Really? Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. That's as bad as like kneeling in Kente cloth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's just like, like, did you, th- and then I'm like, that's why we need critical race theory. Cause why would you be like, happy Juneteenth, here's fried chicken and watermelon for lunch for the week? <laughs> like what? Mm-hmm. Like, It's insanity. It is pure right. insanity. Right. And then the, and... Of the like fake mm-hmm. with the whole like black lives matter movement over the last summer. Mm-hmm. And it's like, fake solidarity or like oh we're pushing for small black businesses or we care and it's kind of like no because you want the black dollar because you these companies and all these big ceos you rely on the black dollar for your wealth right absolutely yeah so it's like yeah so yeah put up put up all Mm -hmm. these like signs of black lives matter and all this other stuff Mm -hmm. it's like you they took the activism out of it it's now it's like you're capitalizing off of it and you really don't care absolutely yeah right it's like okay let's let's post black lives matter up on our website but let's not talk about how we exploit black labor right or or any so anything else or labor anywhere mm -hmm. else like absolutely so um what do you think kind of turning back to like black women's health what's what do you think are some solutions that we should be aiming for? Like, how can we really direct towards Black women's health? But what, like, what solutions, what should we be fighting for? What, what in your mind and through your practice, being able to see through your own eyes and experiencing it and working, in, working on the front lines, what solutions do you think would ultimately be useful? Ooh, this is a lot. <laughs> I, would say, I would say it's literally just taking the racism out of out of medicine, out of healthcare. Taking mm-hmm. gen gen well, you can't really necessarily take the gender out, but taking it mm-hmm. out as a way is like where you're not demeaning, where you're not using it to not mm-hmm. treat the body. And, like, learning that, like, we're all, like, humans. We all experience pain or all these other things. Like, the whole thing of, like, still people still believing that, like, Black women or just Black people in general have, like, experienced no pain or have this extreme level of, like, pain tolerance. Still bizarre. Like, there's still, like, cases and people in med school being like, oh, well, like, they'll be okay. And it's like, what? Mm -hmm. I I don't care if it's a paper cut. If I say my, like... 
cane is 10 out of 10, you better take it for 10 out of 10 because I'm telling you. Um, Absolutely. So just unlearning and unpacking that. And that's literally like you have to have critical race theory from literally Mm -hmm. until you can like first grade or kindergarten where you really start like learning or the differences about like race and just more of just like providing equitable healthcare and access, like equal access to healthcare. Like that's a systemic Mm -hmm. thing. Like it shouldn't be like, Oh, you're on this plan, this plan, this plan. And because you pay a little bit more, you, you don't have more costs for things like kind of just like a blanket healthcare system where it doesn't matter race, gender, class, everybody should get the same type of standard of care. But we really just need to pay attention Mm -hmm. to like black women and just black people in general and and their healthcare because most health, most of the health disparities that black people are experiencing are like 100% preventable. And that comes down to just annual checks, knowledge, um, knowing what like you're exposed to like environmentally, and then that goes down into like redlining where most black people like shoved, like they're shoved in like the lower income areas. You're shoved on the other side of the railroad mm-hmm. tracks where all the factories and things like that are. You're shoved in these areas mm-hmm. that like you don't have access to clean water. Like how is that a thing in the U.S.? How do, why are some areas and neighborhoods and cities don't have access to clean water? Like what? Right. So just those things like that, like basic level, like needs. Um, and it's just to stop overlooking everything because mm-hmm. HPV could be like super preventable. HIV, super preventable. Mm-hmm. Diabetes, super preventable. It's all about like your lifestyle and how you're living. And of course, like if you mm-hmm. live in a food desert, you're only going to be eating at that McDonald's or that little bodega or that convenience store. Right. And just the way that we package like food, like if you are on a low income and you have like food stamps or you don't have food stamps and you're like, and you don't have transportation, you're going to carry home five bags of chips instead of like packets of like meat. Right. Because now you have to get on. So just mm-hmm. things like that. So just being aware of, how like racism and redlining and things like that affects health on the most like basic level. And it's like super preventable, but I mean, granted those things are not going to happen overnight, but because we have those things really pay attention, stop dismissing. And I think once we stop like healthcare providers and things like that, stop dismissing that medical mistrust will, um, it's not ever going to go away. But it's going to get mm-hmm. a little bit better where we're going to start being paying a little bit more attention to our health. We're going to be a little bit more comfortable with going to that provider because they're like, wow, I had a great experience. When somebody has a great experience right. in a healthcare like setting, you're going to run back home and be like, you got to go to them, Dr. So-and-so. They mm-hmm. were great. They listened to me. They ran these tests. I was complaining about this. Turns out I have this, who would have known, or I could have died, or it could have gotten worse. Right. You know, just literally having that like one provider. I'm not saying they don't exist, but they are mm-hmm. few and far between. Right. And yeah. even having that one provider, being able to afford to go see that provider. Yeah, yeah. And then it comes down to even having mm-hmm. the access to go see that and and having the money or the health insurance to even mm-hmm go 
and that that right. more like systemic too but definitely just even even if it's just having that one medical provider even if you just are completely 100% like mistrust it just takes that one provider to run everything to really listen to you because that is literally life and death right then and there because we're already mm-hmm. like not going to the doctor or we're going when it's too late and like nine times out of 10, we're just going through the emergency room. Why? Because we don't have health insurance or we don't right. have money for a copay. If we do have insurance, we don't have the copay for the, for our primary care physician or urgent or quick right. care like that. So we're going to go to the emergency room, but then that's also a thing because everybody's coming in through the emergency room for non-emergency situations. Mm-hmm. So then you have those emergency doctors who are just dismissing people. Like you have a headache, uh, whatever. When mm-hmm. it could be like somebody saying like, I have chronic headaches and who knows, they could be having an aneurysm, blood clot. It could be, it could be anything, you know, but instead of just running a brain mm-hmm. scan, you're just going to dismiss them. Like you have a headache. Bye. You know, mm-hmm. and not really like, oh, see your primary care provider. Do you know if I have access to yeah, one? Yeah, maybe I don't have a primary care as the provider. Yeah. So it's just, it's a lot. And I think really just having that access and not being dismissed on any healthcare issue is going to be what literally saves, saves ourselves and like saves like black, like black people in general. But we also just, we right. all feel like comfortable going. And I totally like I totally understand. I totally get it. Like sometimes I still even get like apprehensive and I know I appear white, but I'm, I'm just like, I know because I, I don't know. Like if I check the race box and I'm like black, I don't know how like how you're portrayed that. So when they come in the room, like, I don't, I just, I just don't know. It, it's a lot with like mistrust and it's a lot from providers just dismissing. And it happens a lot more mm-hmm. than like people think. And I don't think people realize that they're being dismissed until like they go back home and you really sit on it or and think about it and you hear it from somebody and be like, what? I didn't have that experience. I went mm-hmm. and got this and I found this, this and this. And it's kind of like, I didn't even know that was supposed to happen or I didn't even know like you even have access to that. Right. Um, it's just getting to the doctor, not being dismissed having those annual exams and also being for the black community to be knowledgeable because there's a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. Like if I didn't, my mom wasn't like so in love with like healthcare. And I mean, granted, like our family didn't have all these chronic diseases. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have known anything. Wouldn't have known anything. Like it would have taken me to like get to school to like learn about things. So it's also like education, Mm -hmm. but I do think with like social media and things like that, we are being a little bit more aware and like younger generations are coming back to tell younger generations like, Hey, like we got to be on top of this. And the younger generations are finding out like crap just because it's so readily accessible through social media. So I think that is social media is great in that aspect, but it just absolutely not being dismissed and having access, access to healthcare. Right. And I'll kind of uh, close with this and then um, we can go into talking about your latest endeavor. Um, mm-hmm. Is that I, mean, I advocate for a Medicare for all system, but no matter what type of universal healthcare system we end up advocating for, whether it's Medicare for all, a public option, uh, a national healthcare system, whatever it has to be, it has to be 
intersectional. It has to address every single one of those issues that you just mentioned. Because without being intersectional, it can't truly be universal. Because universal mm-hmm. means that we're addressing is everyone's not only going to be covered, but all those issues will be able to be addressed. So universal right. has to mean intersectional. Right. And it actually has to be like, literally like universal. Like it's, it kind of sounds bad to be like, oh, like mm-hmm. one size like fits all, but it's really not. Cause it's like, right. Everybody's different, but it's like, I, I should, it shouldn't be based off of race and gender and class of like why you got denied mm-hmm. something or why you had access to something. It's just Absolutely. Like, you show up and you're like this, Oh, and you're saying this. Okay. So we're going to go down this list and, you know, um, we'll go from there. Like everybody should we're figure it out. Yeah. Same basic treatment. Like it shouldn't be, Oh, well, you know, mm, I like them or, Oh, they're white. So like, let's just give them everything. You're like, Oh, you're black or, Oh, you're a woman. Like, mm, you know, like mm-hmm. it Absolutely. Should, it should never be like that, which is crazy to even think that like something is basic as healthcare has all of these barriers to it. Access to healthcare should be for everyone. It shouldn't matter off of race, class, or gender, or any, anything else. It's just sexuality. Yeah, you're coming in to mm-hmm. be well and to stay well. <laughs> exactly. Absolutely. Okay, so before we uh, close out, uh, you have a new endeavor that you are starting out. So you're a life and wellness coach uh, called Ask Carly. So tell me a little bit more about Ask Carly. I kind of literally since like, you know, like growing up, I've always been the caregiver. And it's no surprise because my mom has always been the caregiver. So I learned by my mom. Um, But I've always been, you know, I'm a health nerd. So I've just always been this health nerd and advocating. (laughs) And I've always been like a person that like, friends and peers and coworkers have always been just like, Hey, like all this hurts. Like what's this? And I'm just like, Oh, it kind of sounds like that. You should probably get it checked out, but I would do this in the meantime, you know, or health stuff. People have always asked me questions or advice and then just kind of like life stuff. Like, Oh my gosh. Like, like everybody knows, like you can come to me and I don't ever disclose like anything to anybody, whatever stays between us. That's just us. If you don't ever want to talk about it again, I will forget it for the sake of you. So like my goal is to just provide like whether that listening ear, you don't want to be that emotional person, like always dumping on your friends and your family. You can come to me. I'm not going to provide judgment. If you're just like, Mm -hmm. I just need to get this off my chest. Don't say anything. But I just want to talk to a person and not feel like I'm talking to myself. I'm there. If you want like advice, whether that's on life stuff, health stuff or both, like I'm there. And then I also provide like actual like health coaching where I combined all of that. And it's through like, I do it in like three and six months, like packages. So it's kind of like you have this need and urge and you're like, I got to get my life under control. And you just need somebody to like talk it through, give advice and keep you accountable. Cause everybody's like, Oh, you have like that gym partner and stuff like that. But it's kind of like, People could be going to the gym and doing things all wrong. And it's like you're overexerting yourself. Just kind of like basic needs on all life aspects. Your sleep, your work, your mental health, career, knowing when to like 
leave a situation or take time off. Like, please, if you have PTO, like use it, do not be like a slave for work. Mm -hmm. 10 out of 10, sure that your job will replace you if you drop dead. So please like leave just helping with that Mm -hmm. and helping like how to just navigate like life and actually have a better, healthier life, whether that is just like, you know, I want to have like healthier meals and I don't know how, or I don't have access and I only have like access in these certain areas. So how can I still be somewhat healthy? How can we navigate those things? And just kind of being everyone's kind of like personal, like community, like health advocate, like I'm there, like for you, I'm a listening ear. If you don't want to have any type of advice or guidance, I'm here to listen. Um, and I'm here if you want like that type of guidance. So that's what Ask Carly is. I've been like inadvertently like doing this like my entire life, but like with now like all my <laughs> time to get <laughs> Yeah, like it makes sense now. But it is something like I do like enjoy, and I'm like very like cheap with my prices because I know like what the heck like no one can afford these things. And it's kind Mm -hmm. of like, if you need somebody in between to talk to for like a therapist, like I'm there and you're like, I can't get an appointment, but I got to let this out. I'm totally there. Or if you're Mm -hmm. like, I, you know, like I kind of like need like a personal trainer, but I'm just following my own thing, but I need somebody accountable and help me figure out like what's healthy and what's not, but not everybody can afford like a personal trainer or things like that or you sometimes you have to like pay to get basic like health access like information. So just right. kind of like being that like resource um for everybody. But like that's what that is. I'm just like willing to be everybody's like personal cheerleader on like their health and like wellness <laughs> journey. It doesn't all have to be like getting your annual exams and like working out and eating mm-hmm. healthy. It's just whatever healthy and wellness looks like for that person. Like I'm there to help you figure that out here to help you guide you to that up until, you know, you're like, I don't need you anymore. And I'm like, cool. I'm, I'm still here in your back pocket. If you ever need me or have any (laughs) questions, things like that, I'm here to cheer you on like stuff like that. (laughs) (laughs) That is awesome. And I, I definitely encourage everyone to check out uh, your Instagram. That's uh, ask Carly. And I'll make sure to put your information in the description. So before we close out, where can our audience find you and support you? Is there anything else that you want to plug? Um, you can find me. Oh, um, Instagram, ask Carly, um, or my personal um, Instagram. It's just Carlene S. And, uh, or Carlene S. And then the underscore. Um, same thing for my Twitter. And then... My Twitter is also like Ask Carly and then underscore. So, or you can just search my name. I will show up on everything. <laughs> I'm the only Carly Schlickman everywhere. I promise. <laughs> but yeah, you are definitely one of a kind in many ways. So this has been the Killjoy Guide with Killjoy Meg, the feminist podcast for the 99%. We'll see you guys next time. Thank you so much for joining us, Carly. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of The Killjoy Guide, the weekly left feminist podcast for the 99%. Please rate and review The Killjoy Guide on your favorite podcasting platforms. You can support the show through Anchor. That's anchor.fm slash killjoyguide. Anchor.fm slash killjoyguide. See you, Killjoys, next time.